I guess why don't we why don't we just jump right in? Um, so, uh, Michael, kind of first question for you. Um, just wanted to ask, you know, how have you personally uh, been processing what's been going on these last several weeks, um, last month or so, with the whole uh, COVID nineteen coronavirus pandemic? Um, you know, have you been? And I'll include Sherry in that too. How have you and Sherry, uh, your wife Sherry, been been processing it as as Christians, uh, as as therapists, mental health professionals? Just kind of, what have your thoughts been so far? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I think it's been just interesting. I mean, I, I would say um, disorienting to say the least. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I just was in a meeting when several weeks ago, my oldest son, we actually have four kids who are 17, 15, 12, and six. We have three boys and a little girl. And, you know, my 17 year old, who's a junior in high school, you know, texted me to let me know that the, you know, North Carolina was about to announce that, you know, all spring sports were about to be at that point suspended Mm -hmm. um, until um, at that point they were saying, you know, towards the end of March and then it kept moving. And so, you know, that just really kind of, you know, that, and then I have a 12 year old son who's fanatical about the NBA. And so he was, you know, letting me know that the NBA had been canceled. And then Andrew and I were talking about the masters. And, and so it's kind of one of those things that there's been all these kind of like little moments that, um, you know, it's been kind of a, a grieving process in some ways. And I think it's helpful to kind of think of that. And it's kind of a mm-hmm. unique situation to grieve because it's, um, you know, at this point in the season of our lives for Sherry and I, you know, it's just in some ways similar, but very dissimilar from say 9-11 or 2008. Um, mm-hmm. But in some similar ways, just there's some things going on that I think are really critical for us, you know, just as image bearers and as human beings to, to process. And that's why it's, you know, just so thankful uh, for Andrew and, and I'm not not trying to pander, but just, and you guys know just um, what a blessing you have as far as in Andrew, as far as his love for the Lord and love for people, but also just the recognition of these are the kind of things we need to be talking about. And I think I wouldn't be share with you guys personally, um, you know, just my personality wise and my own kind of idols and my own heart. It's been easier for me to focus on trying to care for, for Sherry, trying to care for our four kids. Um, my wife and I are also in this season of where we're caring for aging parents. You know, her parents are in Raleigh, Durham. You know, my parents are in Birmingham. And I'm sure like you guys, there's maybe a continuum where some are really panicked and some are, you know, whatever kind of 24 hour news show they're listening to saying, well, this is kind of overblown and trying to kind of walk them through that. And, wasn't really giving a lot of space for myself to kind of grieve and, and wrestle with just some legitimate sadness and, you know, even, you know, other feelings getting stirred up. And I just think that's why it's good for all of us to, you know, especially as a Christian community um, to have our community a place where we can be honest and share our needs and kind of process kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm you brought up kind of 9-11 and said that, you know, you, you and Sherry have talked about how that, you know, how you had compared it and contrasted it with 9-11. 
Um, I mean, is that kind of the closest thing that we have to like something similar to what's going on now? And and even then, does does it kind of fall short or the similarities? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, that's a great question, Andrew. I mean, I think for all of us, this is almost happening in real time, and I, I think it invites us like all of us are going to be processing it differently. Like even, you know, all the faces that I'm seeing kind of on my screen, you know, there's each one of you are going to be processing it differently. And then, you know, how you're processing it, you know, today might change within the next 24 hours. I mean, I think it's starting to come more into focus, Andrew, where I think it's actually, um, I mean, I think I just read today right before I got on the call with you guys that they're projecting, anywhere between, you know, 100 to 200,000 deaths nationwide. And, you know, I had seen that statistic several weeks ago, but, you know, there was this kind of hope that, okay, you know, it's not going to, the trajectory of it will not get to that point. Um, and that being the case, I mean, the difference for us is, you know, uh, when 9-11 happened, we were in seminary, we were, kind of newly married. We've been married for two years at that point and did not have kids. And so there's just a lot of added kind of dynamics as far as, you know, what does it look like to care for, for all the people in our, in our own home with very different personalities and just the way God's made them. Mm -hmm. And then it, it definitely seems like if you were to combine 2008 and 9-11, and then throw in 1918 with the Spanish flu, which I wasn't alive then, you know, <laughs> but, um, but just uh, the severity of what's, what's going on. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of the severity of what's going on, um, it seems like every day there's a, a new briefing from the White House and from the CDC yeah. and the, the, the task force. Um, and one of the things, you know, you and I have talked about this already, but one of the things that I've wondered is, you know, if there were like a mental health professional on the, on the COVID-19 task force who could give Americans um, advice or um, I'm kind of thinking of like the, the therapist equivalent of Dr. Fauci, um, yeah. you know, so yeah, just kind of wondering like if you, Michael, as a, as a Christian counselor, as a um, representative of kind of the mental health field, if you were on that task force, you know, what, what would be uh, some of the things that you would want Americans to know? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things when I was in St. Louis, this probably would have been about 15 years ago, we um, took part in a training that's called um, Critical Incident Stress Management. And so it's CISM and it's, it's training for first responders, like after like active shooter incidents at schools um, for EMTs. And one of the things they really stress, just they get into a lot of like neuroscience and then just trauma and how to process trauma. But then also too, as a first responder, allowing yourself to, to be a human being as well. Um, and, and one of the mm -hmm. things they, they say is you're having a normal response to an abnormal situation. So in one sense, mm -hmm. like really trying to communicate to the larger community of our country that 
you know, all these feelings that we're, you know, beginning to feel and are getting stirred up. And I, and I would say from what I've seen, you know, uh, and Andrew's aware of this, you know, I, I counsel a lot of ministry leaders and pastors around the country. And, and so even hearing from them, just um, some similar themes and just even seeing that over the past few weeks of, really the grieving process. And so helping people understand that as human beings, you know, we process trauma um, in in ways um, and in the reality that like, in one sense, we know as Christians that, okay, we're, we've been made for a relationship. We're image bearers that God in the Trinity exists within community. So, you know, him saying, let us make man in our image. And so, you know, while, you know, watching our favorite, you know, show on Netflix is fun, maybe the first 24 hours, you know, I've been talking to people that are even kind of expressing like, hey, it's hard to me even for me even to focus on Mm -hmm. a Netflix show because I feel so anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I'm talking to people saying like, I've moved from Netflix or Amazon or whatever, streaming service to where now I'm like going to like, you know, cat memes or YouTube videos, because it's like, I can't even keep my focus or my intention for more than five minutes because my heart and my thoughts are racing. Mm -hmm. And I think for us to be able to talk about that and say, okay, that's a normal response to really what is a traumatic situation. I mean, um, in one sense, even if we're, for those of us I'm looking at the screen, I'm sure there's a high percentage of introverts um, that are, you know, in y'all's particular RUF, but, you know, even for us as an introvert, like not even having the prospect of small talk or being able to go out or you know, being able to go somewhere, or go to our favorite restaurant, you know, around Davidson, like that that in itself is like this kind of um, small, like it's a small thing in one sense that we can easily pass over or dismiss, but it's something to grieve. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, literally I was on the phone call with somebody today trying to walk through kind of a pastoral care situation and they shared that they had Chick-fil-A and I was just laughing. I was like, okay, that is like so unfair that you have Chick-fil-A right now. It's like, not having the prospect to get that, like it just feels really wrong that I don't have access to Chick-fil-A, you know? But I mean, I think, I think for us to be able to be honest about what we're feeling, know too that the enemy that we have a real enemy in one sense, you know, despite the culture that we live in, that is kind of a postmodern, um, a spiritual culture that we do have a real enemy that is not like a flannel board enemy and and Satan that wants us to believe that we're alone. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that's really going to pick up steam in the next few weeks is, you know, feelings of depression and sadness intensify as far as thinking, well, Hey, I'm the only one that's like getting depressed or I'm the only one who's sad. And in that isolation, we just kind of internalize our feelings or, internalize those things that you know those traumas whether it's big t or small t traumas and we feel like okay i just need to deal with it by myself and that only intensifies um, the challenge for us and so just out of love and care for just fellow image bearers i would just say okay this is a normal 
response. These are some of the things you need to be looking for in the grieving process, as far as denial, anger, um, depression, and to really see it as, um, you know, a good thing to reach out to other people, you know, for us as, um, you know, even the community of RUF, you know, I, I, you know, when I think back, you know, to RUF, if I have any regrets, you know, it's just like maybe those moments where I didn't share vulnerably or I didn't ask for help. And so that, and I don't want to take up too much time with this question, but I think it's actually a pretty critical question. I think that really exposes um, within the Christian community just um, how much the very air that we breathe, even as Christians, is really defined by um, independence and uh, mm. the idol of being productive and performing and not asking for help. And, you know, in so many ways, we all of us have the seeds of narcissism in our hearts. And, and I think at the heart of that, we see that in the Garden you know, of Eden in Genesis 3, where we, when we feel exposed, what do we do? We, you know, we want to be God. We want to control things and we want to hide our nakedness. We want to hide our need and kind of manage it ourselves. And so I think this is a um, opportunity through affliction that, and I don't say that in a trite way or in a way that's meant to be um, like, hey, this is easy for me because this has really been a challenge the past few weeks and exposed a lot of idols in my own heart. But just having community um, have more meat to it and more texture as far as what that really means. And then also, you know, what am I basing my identity in? Like, mm -hmm. um, if you're at Davidson, you know, if you're at any kind of, you know, a lot of undergraduate schools, if you're in graduate school, typically you're kind of a type A personality, you value hard work. And just for you guys to know, I'm talking to a lot of adults in their 40s and 50s who are really struggling right now, you know, that I'm talking with online, having that idol of like, okay, I'm, I'm not working, I might mm -hmm. lose my job. I'm not producing anything. I'm talking to pastors. I mean, pastors are actually some of the, the, the worst, you know, myself included of like, you know, where is my identity if I'm not, you know, kind of caring for other people when, when really, you know, what I'm trying to do is get my worth and value through um, doing as opposed to resting in who God is and resting in his love. So that's a long answer. Um, I think that's actually, it's a pretty significant question and I may mean, I think something just for all of us, you know, myself included, to, that we have this opportunity to, to press into in these next few weeks and I would say also months. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, um, the last question that I have for you, Michael, and then I'd love to take some questions from our students. So keep, uh, I've gotten a few, keep, keep uh, texting or not texting me, but sending me your questions through the chat feature. But um, this last question is kind of more, I think, Davidson specific and maybe inviting you to kind of, you, Michael, to kind of um, enter the shoes of our uh, Davidson students. But it's it's been less than three weeks. Um, I guess it'll be three weeks ago this Thursday that our students were told uh, classes are canceled until the following Wednesday. Um, and we, 
we meaning the administration want everyone to leave campus um, by that time and then we're going to switch to virtual classes and um, you know that was pretty disruptive for just about everyone um, but maybe even traumatic for many of us or most of us I mean um, yeah so I, I guess and this is kind of going along with, with what you were saying earlier but with such a major change um, you know, what sorts of emotions would you expect us to be experiencing? I guess I kind of want you to maybe help normalize what we're going through. Um, yeah. You know, whether whether you're a senior all the way down to a freshman, um, like this is just not how we expected our spring semester to, to wrap up. Um, you know, this was a week after spring break, uh, the, the week after spring break that, that we were told that classes were going to be moving uh, virtual. So yeah, I guess I'm just asking kind of the general question, like what, you know, what would you expect us to be experiencing? Um, but then also like how, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how, how can we process kind of the, the disappointment or the sense of disappointment that we, we feel just kind of over a lost second half of the spring semester? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, you know, um, uh, I've actually never been to Davidson. I actually have a lot of friends who've gone to Davidson. But, you know, even as you we were asking that question, Andrew, I was thinking back as far as, um, you know, if I had lost my spring semester at the University of Alabama, like my junior or senior year, you know, um, I think it's one of those things like what, what, are, what would have been some of the things I would have lost if, if I was in the situation that you guys are in right now. And, you know, I think there's the more obvious things as far as like going to class, you know, or, or those things, which are significant losses. But I mean, you know, we would, we had a group of about um, 30 people from RUF that after every, on every Sunday in the spring, you know, they had a huge quad at Alabama and, we would eat lunch and then um, all show up and we would just play, you know, ultimate Frisbee for probably three to four hours every Sunday. And just the thought of like all the things that happened in those kind of conversations and those interactions with all those 30 people. Um, some of those were good interactions. Some of those were like traumatic, you know, breakups, you know, which I'll say that like hypothetically, but, you know, um, but, just to think about if that had been taken away, that that is, um, that's actually something that would be legitimate for me to have grieved. And even though I've never kind of met you guys personally in one sense, like face to face, like being in the same room, that I would just want you to hear me say as just a fellow brother in Christ that you guys having sadness or depression, um, or even anger, or like legitimate feelings. And it, there's legitimate things to grieve. And, you know, I'll maybe um, throw Andrew into this boat with me, but it, it's definitely, I'm in there where, you know, it's probably for Andrew and I, it was probably not until our, you know, late 20s or even early 30s 
where God allowed things in our lives to really confront us with our need to grow and the ability to grieve. Mm. And, you know, I think back to where maybe there were some missed opportunities um, in college for me, but also in my earlier 20s, especially when I was newly married, where I'm like, if I had a, a better sense of suffering and how to grieve well, which is this kind of fertile soil for empathy, where empathy is so countercultural to our world today, but it's also, it's like the fast track to like really deep intimacy and connection. Mm. Um, and, and I think, you know, for Andrew being married, he's shaking his head. And, and if I could bring my wife in here, she would shake her head as well that, you know, I'm, it took me a while. It took a lot of um, suffering that was not enjoyable going through but how God used those moments of suffering and those losses um, to, to grow me in grace, to kind of slow me down. Um, you know, I still, I mean, I was sinning against, you know, my family today, you know, I'll sin against them tomorrow, but that using those moments of grief to like be more patient, to be kinder, to be quicker, to encourage. Um, you know, I came across this quote and I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Brene Brown where she even talks about grief and it's just a great quote where she talks about, you know, our, our silence about grief really serves no one. And she goes in to kind of unpack that, like, if we don't grieve, which is, ouch, this hurts. Um, I'm going to be honest that this is a loss. Um, I'm going to acknowledge my sadness. I'm going to acknowledge like betrayal or anger or anxiety. Like if we don't do those things as human beings, um, we're really not able to heal, you know, personally. Mm -hmm. And then outside of healing personally, we're not even really able to be able to, to fully forgive other people when they um, wound us or hurt us in relationship. And so I think for all of us, this is this um, kind of unchosen you know, un, you know, like surprising, disorienting opportunity to, to really grieve and wrestle with, okay, what are some things like even the pace of my life? Um, I mean, I'm sure some of you've maybe seen even the, you know, not to be trite, but it's just, it makes me laugh. You know, the first Sunday back from RUF with Chris Farley kind of running into the David Letterman show, and he literally like form tackles and does cartwheels and and I think there's just like almost this tangible image of appreciating those things that were kind of right in front of us. And so I guess out of love for you guys, I would just say, you know, to see this as an opportunity to kind of lean on one another, to see this as an opportunity that you're not being indulgent or um, immature to say I'm scared or I'm anxious or I'm having even panic attacks um, cause as I say that to you, like I'm, I'm counseling pastors in their forties and fifties who are dealing with this, who don't feel the freedom to kind of be honest and share that with the people in their church. And so, and Andrew and I were talking about this, that if 60 year old pastors of like large ministries don't have the playbook on this or are dealing with these feelings, it should be okay for us who are also image bearers and human beings to say, 
okay, am I going to have a fall semester? You know, um, what is this going to look like next year? Like um, to ask these questions and really wrestle. But I think on the other side of it, for it's also exposing like, God, do I really trust you? Are you good? Mm. So. Mm. That's great. Thank you for, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing those thoughts. Um, I wanted to, to uh, take a few minutes and maybe Michael have you respond to some questions that have come in from some of the students on the Zoom call. Um, so I think, I think we'll have time for maybe three or four of these, um, do kind of rapid fire. <laughs> but um, yeah, the first question um, relates to, you know, any, any advice that you would give to seniors, especially that, uh, you know, college, you know, ended, at least their kind of on-campus experience at college ended so abruptly. Um, it's really hard to process and there's not a real sense of closure, especially with the place and the people that they love. So yeah, just, I guess the, the question's kind of about any advice you'd give the person, uh, alludes to, in Thessalonians, the verse about grieving with hope. Yeah, what does that what does that look like? It, it can kind of feel like a uh, like a fine line or uh, yeah. a, a hard tension to to hold. Yeah, I think, and I mean, I would just say, I think that's a great question. I would just um, just also out of kind of love for you guys would say, like you know, um, Andrew and I are kind of figuring it out with you. And, and so in one sense, I'm, you know, just even that question is something that um, I think a lot of us are trying to think through and process, you know, I mean, um, I was thankful that my son, you know, his first thought when he found out his, the baseball season was coming to an end, you know, he went to sadness, you know, for the seniors mm. and, you know, saying like, hey, they're going to have a prom, you know, and just expressing sadness uh, for them. And, you know, as a dad, just, and I don't even, you know, I have mentioned it a few times to him, but just, just having, being proud of him that he went to empathy and was thinking of those, you know, those guys on his team, as opposed to like, okay, this is how this affects me. I, I think, um, I think one of the things in our culture that we've moved away from is like rituals and um, rites of passage. Mm -hmm. And, and that, I think that's actually not a good thing in our culture. And so one of the few things that we have left culturally in the West, especially in the United States, as far as rite of passage would be graduation. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I mean, I think that's even something, you know, for you seniors and juniors and sophomores, but even as a community, you know, what would it look like to be really intentional and think through how could we, as, you know, Davidson RUF, create something to really mark and really signify even more so than just kind of like a rental cap and gown, which mm -hmm. is not insignificant, but to really like express like our love for the seniors, our appreciation for them, like that there is a, um, and that's the thing, like, I don't know what that could look like, you know, in a, in a season of social distancing, but it just makes me thankful that like, even 
you know, like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how can we be intentional to really, and I think if the person asking this question that um, you're not being, um, I, I've said this before, you're not being indulgent or like, hey, I'm going to try to mark this, you know, or do something special like, well, okay, when I can travel, you know, um, I'm going to really mark this with a trip or mark this with a group of people to really celebrate God's faithfulness to me over the past four years. Mm-hmm. And a reminder that he has been faithful to me and he will be faithful in the future. And that's that kind of grieving with hope that, you know, we are, we're going to get through this and that we know that, you know, God is good. Um, and, you know, he's over this whole situation, but I mean, that's, that's something like to be, you know, what would it look like to create maybe some kind of writer passage outside of the actual graduation ceremony? Yeah, man, that's a great, that's a great idea. Um, and I love that, that thought of maybe having like a, a trip after the social distancing is, is, has run its course, um, to kind of mark that and celebrate that. Um, want to ask a, a couple other questions. Uh, this one says, uh, Michael, what advice do you have for people with mental health struggles during this season? What are some resources or tips for how we can continue to maintain our mental health given the disruptions to routine and I guess disruptions to counseling and mental health care? So yeah, what would you say for folks that are already experiencing some mental health struggles during the season? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Psychology Today just came out, I think, with an article within within the past two days on just some of the real effects of even just cabin fever, you know, and just kind of being isolated. Uh, Gospel Coalition has a great article that, you know, that talks about that even if we don't have a pre-existing kind of mental health issue, which like many of us do, um, and that you know, prolonged isolation is similar to a traumatic brain injury mm. that they've shown that and kind of EEG kind of results that it's, uh, you know, it's like a TBI. Um, and so I think um, getting good rest, you know, some of the things that are common sense, you know, good sleep, I think really being mindful, you know, and this is something that's hard for all of us, myself included, but, you know, um, how much kind of screen time am I engaging in after um, nine o'clock as far as what they've shown, as far as our brain waves, as far as, you know, in this, as far as it affecting sleep cycle and getting REM sleep, which is really restorative, not only uh, physically, but just even, you know, uh, our mental health. I think, um, I think one of the things too, just um, not waiting to ask for help. Like if you notice, okay, this is, Hey, I'm not at this point now, but to go ahead and be proactive and, and reach out just to other people and, and be sharing that. And that um, all of us are broken because of the fall and that there's no shame. Um, whether you have, you know, an anxiety disorder, if you've experienced like sexual or emotional trauma at some point in your story, um, that these are all kind of landmines in our hearts that this event is going to kind of step on and the shrapnel is going to come up. And so I think another avenue is in, is online counseling. If we're not able to kind of physically go and sit in front of a counselor, um, you know, that's one of the things that 
I started doing some on online counseling probably 10 years ago and it was kind of a new medium and was not very typical. And the first couple sessions you would have to spend processing just the, the technology. Mm -hmm. um, I would say within the past few years now, you know, if you were to process that people are like, why are we wasting time <laughs> talking about zoom or FaceTime that it's just such a part of our day in, you know, lives. Um, and so there's a lot of really good options. Uh, Global Counseling Network is, um, you know, has a lot of people that uh, Andrew went to seminary with, that I went to seminary with. I'm a part of that network as well. Our counseling practice, um, my wife and I, there's a lot of other therapists do online counseling. And we were doing that before, you know, the past month. Now that's pretty much all we're doing. So I would just encourage you to um, reach out, uh, for online counseling as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, one last question for you, Michael. Um, how can we from afar comfort friends or loved ones who are suffering or struggling? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we have around 300 people in our church. And so we've, we've, a lot of them are older, so we can't, you know, we just can't even be within six feet. They can't even just get out. And so it's a lot of texting, Facebook, um, calling emails. I think all those things are things we can do to try to encourage people. Um, I, I do wonder though, Andrew, and, and you and I haven't talked about this yet, that, um, I think I'm wondering if this forced stillness that's been given to us and this social distancing and having to kind of like isolate um, will maybe be an opportunity for us to kind of um, rediscover the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. And I think for, for us who like tend to be like, take the hill productive, you know, let me do things like out of my effort or performance it can seem very passive to pray, but in God's word and just the reality of just the power of prayer, that there's something um, that, that really is redemptive and healing and significant in prayer and that that's not um, insignificant us praying for family and friends and praying for one another and that that is um, really needed in this time and something that um, and so many other parts of the world and so many other cultures they recognize, I think in some ways who've experienced a lot of suffering and then maybe haven't had the freedoms that we've had as, as far as public worship or affluence or things maybe that we've taken for granted where their only means of like in one sense is, is really prayer for those in their community. Mm -hmm. so. no, that's great. Michael, thank you so much uh, for joining us. This has been really helpful. Um, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Um, appreciate you joining us. Uh, one uh, one last bonus question: Knowing that you're a film buff, uh, any uh, any movies or documentaries that you're getting into these days that you would uh, recommend? That's good. You know, it's funny because we I was going to talk to you about this and I forgot before we started recording. Um, we were just kind of hitting an entertainment wall 
you know, like as far as what is left, you know, we watch, it's two things. I'll go, can I do two, not one, right? Real quick. Uh, I think you have talked about A Hidden Life, which is, um, it's like three hours and it's, it's by the same director who did Tree of Life, but it's based on a true story. And I'm a big military history buff and love that kind of period in time. But um, the, the one that we actually were like really surprised and had like no expectations for is called Magnus. Madness. And I'm not probably going to be selling you guys on this, but it's about this uh, Norwegian chess prodigy. And so it has all this documentary footage of like him as like, I think like even as like a five-year-old little boy all the way to becoming, I think the highest ranked world champion in, in like history and um, just showing his family and then him kind of processing, you know, him moving towards this goal of, um, and it sounds like super boring, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it, it actually, my, um, my second son, Davis, who's 15, said, this is like Rocky four with chess. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's like having to go to like, it's like, instead of going to Moscow to fight Drago, like Magnus is having to go from Norway to like India to fight the reigning champion on his hometown. And it's, it's actually really entertaining. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's it's, helpful. Cause that's I it, think, Magnus. <laughs> yeah. I needed, I needed something to watch after Tiger yeah. King. So. so it's like crickets, nothing. Just like, <laughs> I mean, if you could see the, the facial expressions, right? Like it's a chess documentary. <laughs> it's just like nothing. <laughs> You're like, eh, no, that's not a big Yeah. Well, that's Michael, thank you so much. What's that? That's what I got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're grateful. Well, thank you, Michael. Appreciate your time. <laughs>